Hello and welcome back to Next Gen Politics. I'm Olivia. I'm Arushi. And today we're going to be discussing our negative feelings about the Electoral College. Last mini-episode, we discussed why we were pro-Electoral College and why we're still pro-Electoral College leaning. Um, we're going to try and give you a fair view of what it is. And so we're going to be discussing why it sucks today. Do you want to start us off? Yeah. So, obviously, the first main reason is that the loser of the popular vote can still win the election through the Electoral College because of the way it places emphasis on certain states. Well, this is obviously negative because we want the person who receives the most votes to win the presidency. And while the system is generally good at ensuring this doesn't happen, there are obvious outliers which you've mentioned and they have happened even more in the past but as of more recently, it's becoming more of a popular issue because of the recency of the last two. Yeah, and, um, I mean, it's only happened, what, five times? Five times in yeah, history, Yeah, five yes. times. So we mentioned that last time, but um, it has been happening a lot more recently. Why mm-hmm. would that be? Part of that comes from in the 20th century. There were, like, lots of periods where, like, for a long amount of time, there was only Republican control, and it was very easy for a Republican to win two if not three of the branches of government easily and there were periods when the the democrats took over starting with fdr's new deal and going on all the way through until the cold war era when conservatism began to rise again because of the red scare and communism and all of that but that's when it was pretty easy to determine a winner of an election just based off of the trends of the people but i feel like as more recently it's gotten more close And for that reason, we've seen that happen, I mean, twice in the past two decades. So I think that would play a large role in why there would be that much competitiveness in the election. Speaking of competitive elections, a hyper-competitive election in the Electoral College scenario does leave an open possibility for a 269 to 269 tie where the election gets thrown to the House. So we really haven't seen this happen much, but almost every election that's been during news coverage, they have mentioned a likely scenario for a tie, and it's often probable, and even though it hasn't happened, that is a scenario where we would have to go to the next layer of the Constitution to figure out what happens in the election process. Yeah, and that has happened three times, Yes, yes. And a long time ago, not very recently. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that might happen 2020? You know, I think this would be a possibility if the trend keeps going towards hyper-partisanship and more divisive issues. Because honestly, Republican-Democrat is probably around 50-50, just in general in the U.S. in terms of people. Mm -hmm. Which is where the Electoral College does upset some people, because 50-50 is not always represented in the Electoral College and the results of the election. So yeah, that could definitely be a possibility. In this scenario, this election gets thrown to the House of Representatives. So the way it works is it's not the 435 representatives voting, but it's delegations that are voting as states. So instead of 435 votes, there will be 50 votes. The issue with this is that there's an even number of votes because there are 50 states. So this means the person who would win the election would have to reach 26 states to get this, which is very difficult to do. Another issue with not actually having the representatives vote like the House was intended to do and having uh, one vote per state 
is that it skews towards the smaller states, which just kind of exacerbates the original and most frequently talked about problem with the Electoral College, which is definitely what we don't want. Because there are states with an equal number of electors, and the electors from each state are required to come together as one to put a vote in for a candidate, if they are not able to agree on one because there's no majority, then they are called deadlocked states, and they're not able to vote at all. And the issue with that is that the winning candidate must reach those 26 states, regardless of whether there are deadlocked states or not, making the possibility of this to actually occur even worse. Yeah, and if they don't reach uh, 26, there is no framework in the Constitution for how to proceed. And so you have a situation where you actually can't elect a president um, according to the Constitution, which is something that would um, completely and utterly jeopardize the peaceful transition of powers because there's no one to transition to. Yeah, and that, you know, is so easily simplified by just deferring to the popular vote, which is why... It's also such like a movement now for people to say, we don't need the Electoral College. Look at how many complicated things it produces when you can simply look to the number of votes. So this complexity and all these procedural issues are kind of just an issue that stemmed from the Electoral College and its existence as a whole. Going back to when we were discussing the increased um, competitiveness in our presidential elections and how the Electoral College isn't the best fit for that, maybe, um, we, I was thinking about how in the last episode we were talking about how the abolishment of the Electoral College would lead to a more parliamentary system and you would see um, hyper-partisanship on a more intense and minute level. Um, just because of parties that resemble interest groups instead of general good parties. But this also kind of works both ways because you have extreme hyperpartisanship. But this also kind of works both ways because the Electoral College makes it so that it's um, nearly impossible for you to vote for a third party candidate effectively, which um, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it does mean that your vote won't count for very much and if you don't if you don't get 15% is that the rule if you don't get 15% you can't even get on the national stage to debate and have your ideas heard and that's just kind of a a fact of a fact of the system that we have to deal with um so that's another reason that the electoral college kind of sucks (laughs) so in the last episode we did mention a pro of the electoral college being giving small states a voice But that also comes with a disadvantage solely just because they're not as populated. They have more of a weight. Mm. And depending on the state, like California, it's a big state, but a Republican vote doesn't get you even one of the 55 electoral votes in California. They will all go to the Democratic Party. So the same thing is probably true with being Democrat in Texas. Your vote doesn't really matter. And in the small states... Even though they're definitely not swing states, and some like Nebraska will always vote red just because of how rural they are, your vote has more of a chance of swinging the election one way or the other, which kind of undermines the one-person, one-vote concept that is the most pure democratic way of electing. Another byproduct of the electoral college system is the creation of swing states, and those are the states that will change either way depending on 
a lot on the campaigning that goes on then. And so the general focus of not only presidents in office, but presidential candidates who are looking to seek office, they will focus on these nine or so states in all of their efforts. And you saw a lot in 2016 and 2017 when they were kind of discussing why Hillary Clinton lost the election. There was a lot of talk of Ohio, and she just didn't go to Ohio enough. And I really don't think that it should be normalized that Ohio is deciding our elections when the motivations for the people of Ohio and motivations for the people of Texas and New York and so on and so on are very different. Another effect of this is with the vice president's election and then more strategic appointing of cabinet members, etc. So pulling from like those states of particular interests, such as Tim Kaine from Virginia, Hillary lost the election, but she did carry Virginia, which often swings. So that whole selection process isn't necessarily just the best person for the job, but is also a large emphasis on where they come from and which votes they can pull. An effect of this is that we see a lot of first-term presidents trying to appease the swing state voters that they were lobbying rather than trying to, you know, fix America. And so their actions suggest that they're more focused on a potential second term rather than first term. And doing their job. And doing their job. So those are our thoughts on reasons against the Electoral College. And although we are skewed towards the pro-Electoral College side a little just personally, we do completely understand and agree with these points here. And if you haven't checked out our previous episode on why we are skewed pro-Electoral College, uh, then you should definitely check that out. I think that it's um, really worth hearing other people's opinions. and Both um, sides of the argument Yes, well. both sides of the argument. Uh, so anyways, uh, go check that out. Uh, this has been Next Gen Call.